Jonathan Burton grew up in uh, Texarkana, Arkansas with me. And then over, over the years, he slowly cultivated a brand and leveraged social media to actually grow. He also is a survival expert, the kind of people that you'll watch on uh, that show alone. He actually teaches classes on how to do that as well, being a river guide, and spent some time in Alaska as a kayak guide. So we try to bridge the gap between the military uh, you know, realities as well as uh, lessons that we can learn from the survival world. He's an accomplished musician, and so I invited uh, Sergeant Isaiah Man Manning uh, on to, uh, to talk as well. Um, it's a great conversation. It's probably one of my favorite episodes that, that we've done because it's simply uh, catching up with an old friend and having some really uh, you know deep conversations about life, uh, creativity, as well as um, things to, to do whenever you find yourself alone in the woods. Let's get after it. We have a professional obligation for the ethical application of, uh, of force. You can have a growth mindset where you're always achieving for better. This is about us, about our guard, our reputation. We are all in this together. Outthink, outmaneuver, and outfight the enemy. If you wage war, do it energetically and with severity. We want somebody to work for us that we have to hold back, not somebody that we have to keep pushing. material so that's cool yeah <laughs> <laughs> all right well thanks for joining us again for another episode of the raven report i am chaplain sanders and i'm on with two very in interesting people one is uh the dark rifles hhc supply sergeant staff sergeant isaiah manning uh, yep. so how are you doing today i'm good how are you all right uh and then uh, i am terrible at intros so jonathan i'll let you just introduce yourself so. Yeah, uh, my name is Jonathan Burton, and uh, on all my social medias uh, stuff, I go by the Bearded Burton, and uh, I'm just excited to uh, to be here today and uh, talk about anything that these guys want to talk about. Hopefully, I can contribute. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a big honor for me. Um, I uh, I love everything that uh, that the military uh, represents and I have a lot of respect and, uh, and honor for those that have served and are currently serving. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be a fun discussion. So, um, yeah, I'm just a guy that loves to be outdoors. <laughs> yeah, well, there you go. All right. So, um, give us kind of like a, an introduction to your background. Cause I know you're, you're, you're big in the bushcrafting world. So just let's just start there. That's an easy place to go. So, yeah, yeah. So primarily, uh, I focus on, uh, outdoor uh outdoor living skills wilderness living skills um i really enjoy uh trying to do less with more i think it's really important to uh to kind of test yourself in all aspects of life but the things that you feel like you have to have that might be a crutch for you uh it's really something really special happens when you take those things away so uh like doing less with more and focusing more on uh what if I don't have this item or what if I don't have this kind of gear? Like, what can I do uh, to uh, overcome whatever situation I'm in? And so that really ties into uh, what what I enjoy doing, um, which is uh, the wilderness living skills, but also you know, even more primitive living skills. So uh, we lived on this continent uh, and on this on this globe for a long time without a lot of stuff 
and right. somehow uh we are now weaker than what we've ever been and there's you know some disconnects there but um so yeah i i uh and i teach and instruct uh those kind of skills uh, for a school here in texas called primitive living uh primitive wilderness survival sorry and uh i've been involved in the outdoor and bushcraft industry community for uh this makes 10 years now this year oh, wow. so yeah. um it's been a fun uh fun interesting journey yeah yeah that, that really resonates with us like uh one of the big kind of pushes we have for for our soldiers to go to ranger school it's like 60 days like really intense yeah you're you're living on uh you know very little food very little support and um, that has real world impacts because if you look at Ukraine, uh, one of the big kind of takeaways uh, from from why the Ukrainians seem to do so much better than the Russians is that they can uh, operate decentralized and away from higher echelons. So that way they don't necessarily need a, a lot of the same logistical support. They don't need a lot of the same like command and control and all that kind of stuff. And so like, uh, you know, being a light fighter is very much like being a bush bushcrafter. Um, so like, uh, you know, like there's, there's a lot of, uh, overlap in skill sets, but it, it doesn't seem to me that the, the two communities talk very well that like, uh, that maybe if you go to like, you know, SEER or some high end, like, you know, Delta school or whatever else, you might find some of the skills that you teach your guys, but like, uh, the base infantrymen and then granted we're striker infantry. So we have a little bit more like kind of like bougie lifestyle than a regular infantryman, but the, you know, if, you know, if you're just out, you know, in the woods by yourself, a lot of the things that you're teaching, it could probably actually be really beneficial to uh, so, some of our guys. Yeah. And um, I, uh, I just was talking to uh, some friends the other day kind of about this, but uh, you really, I haven't, I've, well, I'll preface this. So I've never been either attending a class as a student that I've like paid for or gone to an event all these years or uh, teaching a class as an instructor that I haven't had someone that's either currently in the military or as a veteran. Um, that's just always something that uh, that I've noticed. And and I think it's because a lot of the principles that uh, that you find by being I mean, I'm, I'm not in the military. I'm I've never been, you know, but I feel like that community and that camaraderie that you get from it. Um, especially being, you know, removed from it, you can find in the outdoors with other people that want to be, you know, want to be outdoors and either hunting, fishing, whatever it might be. And it's just a peaceful thing. It puts your mind at rest. And so the skills are kind of second nature um, for me in the way that I teach. Um, they're very important. That's what I want people to go home with and practice, but I want people to find a way to connect to nature. And if that's through community, a campfire, if that's through the skills that sends them on this path when they get home to learning more or, uh, you know, finding a buddy that also likes it. And now you've got someone to practice and stuff with. But the skills are the skills are great. I, I think they're mainly just a. Uh, an avenue to take when, you know, you need them, but. I don't ever want anyone to have to use them. So like my mindset is I don't, I hope you never have to make friction fire. I hope you never have to build <laughs> a shelter out of sticks. Like it sucks, you know, right. um, but if you're, if you mentally are able to, and you've got the fortitude and you're in the right spot mentally, and especially if you're with somebody, it's a lot easier to do it instead of being alone. Uh, yeah. Those are super important. Yeah. So like uh, to, 
we had um, Ryan Callahan from Mediator and uh, Trevor Hubs, who's uh, the Backcountry Anglers Armed Forces Initiative president on uh, a few weeks ago. Actually, their episode is going to air in like two weeks. Uh, and uh, yeah, so like they- Callahan's they talk, awesome. <laughs> yeah, Callahan is pretty cool. I, 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 so, um, they, uh, the one thing that I t- kind of took away from that, and this didn't come up in the episode, but I was talking afterwards, is that um, the VA has titled what you just described as um, Outdoors Adjunct Therapy. Um, adjunct meaning that there is not a therapist there, but they they very much uh, key in on the fact that being outdoors is therapeutic in whatever way that you want to do it. Be it like you want to be hunting, fishing, hiking, camping, whatever. It's just simply being back in that that environment that we came from has therapeutic effects. And so, like you know, you're you're very much preaching to the choir, especially that I'm a chaplain. So uh, that I very interested in that kind of kind of, kind of thing. So yeah, and they're not able to say a therapist is there because the best one is mother nature you know yeah. like they, yeah. the therapist is there you just yeah, right. can't put her in a in a room you know <laughs> yeah. um, it's a it's a great thing and you know it took me it took me a while uh on this journey because it's still going and i'm forever a student but it took me a while to kind of find this avenue like this way of thinking because uh in the beginning you're there's just so much everything's so new like even just going down the route of like the different ways to make fires like you can spend the rest of your life you'll never master it but you know there's so many things in the beginning that it can be overwhelming and then on top of that you're throwing in all the different cool gear and now more than ever there's companies that make everything you could imagine and so at first I was like really focused on more of like traditional wilderness survival and bushcraft and now it's kind of morphed into like i just want to wear like a little neck knife and have a metal water bottle and just go wander off and see what happens. <laughs> yeah, like, right. you know it it and I, a lot of it's probably because you you know you build up your skill set and so you know when you get used to you know fishing with the old zebco then you move into spinning rod and then you're throwing a bait caster and then you're like let's go fly fishing like, yeah, right. you know, there's, there's progresses to every, like progress to everything, but, um, yeah, man, it's, it's done a lot of, uh, it's being in nature and being around other people that enjoy being in nature. Uh, I, I've seen it do a lot of incredible things for people and yeah. literally change the course of people's lives because, you know, it's pretty cheap. Yeah. Go out and be in nature, especially if you're in a place with public land, Texas isn't as great, but, uh, you know arkansas like where we both yeah. grew up i mean dude it's unbelievable oh uh, yeah the beauty and the things that you can get into so it's pretty cheap and as long as you got gas and you're you know willing to sleep on the ground like somewhere you know you can you can do it pretty affordably and you know that's where i think kind of the skill stuff really uh it really kind of correlates because people can show up with like really cheap minimal gear and still have a blast or they can show up with like the most bougie Patagucci stuff ever and like and still you know have fun with everybody yeah I love how you use the word Patagucci it's like one of my favorite uh, yeah. <laughs> ways to describe that brand 
yeah. So, um, I, 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 like, I kind of want to chart us a course on, on this. Like, um, I want to uh, talk about mindset because you brought that up a couple times. I think that's like, regardless of, of you know, combat, not in combat training, just having fun or whatever else, that is very, very important. Uh, you know, just like having the right mindset, how do you develop it? Then talk about like what skills we've, we've talked about, talked around bushcrafting and skills, but I kind of want to get into it. You kind of mentioned some of them like friction fire and things like that. Like what, yeah. what, are the, what, what do people need to know to, to be successful? And then uh, kind of like get to the end of it with, um, not the end of the episode. I have other things I want to talk to you about, but but the kind of end of that um, with uh, how do you do it with just a neck knife and a, uh, uh, a you know a, a canteen? Like how do you go from I don't know anything to I know things, but I need everything to I am now a wizard and I only need a knife and I will build you a shopping mall. So cool, cool. <laughs> um, and rein me in and like keep me on track because I remember some of that, but I've already like all right gone down some. Um, so the, the mentality thing, the first thing that you touched on, uh, in your mindset to me, that is your, that and creativity is your, your greatest skills, period. Um, you can take away my clothes. You can take away the AC. You can take away, you know, there's a few things that we obviously need oxygen, water, and then food after so long, but you're your mental fortitude and your attitude on how you approach anything will pretty much determine the success before it even starts. So if I'm in a bad mood um, because I'm dehydrated, because I'm scared and maybe I'm cold, those are three things that are very, very dangerous. Uh, it's going to be a lot harder for me to overcome that bad attitude. And now that's clouded me being creative. Right. Um, creativity is what mankind has survived on. I mean, look at all the things we've started with and we've developed. So um, it's it's really important to to try to keep that mental attitude, the P, like positive mental attitude. Um, but that's a lot easier said than done because there's really no way to train that um, until you're faced with it. So. Uh, a lot of the stuff that we see that gets glamorized and like sexy and stuff on TV and reality shows and whatever, uh, you know, it's easy to be the armchair quarterback, but like you, until you're there, you don't know what, none of us know what we would do. Like right. you could have all the training in the world, but until like, you know, you're freezing cold and, and you're scared, like you don't know what you're going to do. So you kind of have to like test yourself by doing things to see how you would react and not I'm not advocating go out and like <laughs> potentially put yourself in situations right. but by now there's ways to have some like, controlled environments to see what you would do um so your mental attitude is like it's super important it's it's up there like but there's a way too of like uh of what's called and my buddy Philip that I that I work with and teach for, and then also his mentor Dave Holiday uh, with uh, Boulder Outdoor Survival School, who started who started that awesome school way back in the seventies. They practice a thing called compare down. So mm -hmm. no matter what's going on, like man, this coffee sucks. Well, compare it down. You could not have coffee at all. <laughs> right. Like, man, it's freezing cold. Well, compare it down. You could be, you know, wet, freezing cold, and hungry. Like. So there's always a way to like 
to take your situation and kind of give yourself some hope. And that's really, that's really what goes in line with your mental attitude is like, how can I maintain hope? Right. Now, yeah, there's I, a, we, um, we rely a lot on, on like a reading and history and, and uh, Napoleon wrote uh, a bunch of maxims. He said like, this is how you, how you need to be a really good military leader. And one of my favorites was like, never let your men see you wear a frock coat. All right. So like, think about this, like, you know, he's a guy who's fighting in like Russian winters and stuff. And so he's just basically like, I'm going to voluntarily suffer more than my guys. So when they look at me, they can be like, well, this sucks, but you know what? It could suck a whole lot worse. So you look at that guy and you know, you kind of, that's set that crazy. Example. yeah. Yeah. It literally a physical example of him make like giving his, his soldiers comparing the down method. Yeah. So, yeah. Right. Um, so mentality is huge. Um, I mean, it, like I said, that and creativity is kind of the things that make, uh, really bushcraft what it is, uh, your creativity. And then the other side of it that, cause there's two, so there's two schools of thought that I kind of have on it. It's you have bushcraft and you know, the camping side, like camping side of it. And then you actually have a survival situation. Few of us will ever be in a survival situation. Like it's just not going to happen. The chances, you know, but we want to, we want to be prepared for it if we need to. So most of us practice either uncomfortable camping or bushcraft. And uh, that that kind of goes hand in hand in some ways, but it also is like a you have gear that helps you with bushcraft and you, you can make you know your camp as comfortable as you want. You can make things off the land using tools. And then your survival situation is the exact opposite. Hopefully you have something, you've still got your pants. So you normally should have a pocket knife or something. Right. Um, you're not naked and afraid, uh, right. but, uh, but both of them need creativity. You know, you can only go so far with creativity. And if you're in like a really bad mindset before even, uh, enjoying one or suffering through the other, it's just going to make things harder. So, um, right. I'm trying to remember what your second point so, was. Second one was gear or, or skill sets. Yeah. Like what are, what are the skill sets? Yeah. Okay. So, uh, Kind of the way that I approach any class, whether it's uh, just like a basic 72-hour window class, which is kind of what is a standard for most schools across the country. You've got a 72-hour window that either people are going to be looking for you, search and rescue, whatever, and that's kind of your best bet to either be found or get out, um, walk out. Uh, or if it's the complete opposite of like to the other far extreme, super bare minimum knife only 14 days in a wilderness, the overall theme and goal for any of those classes is the most, most important thing is maintaining core body temp. So all of us run at 98.6 degrees. And the second we drop below it, we're hypothermic. The second we get above it, we're hyperthermic. So we're constantly in this battle of regulating that. And it gets harder and harder when you're removed from a climate control environment and then you start uh, factoring in what Mother Nature is throwing at you. So the skill, the most important skill is figuring out how to keep your core body temp level because uh, that's what's going to kill you before anything. It's right. going to, I mean, unless you're suffocating or drowning, uh, you've got enough time that, you know, you can be dehydrated for a little while before it kills you and you got way more time that you're going to die of starvation. Right. Um, but we fixate on food because it tastes great. It makes us feel good. 
Um, so maintaining core body temp is, is the biggest skill set to figure out. And that's why if you have gear that keeps you warm, jackets or sleeping bags, whatever, you're great. If you don't have it, then you've got to figure out natural ways to maintain your body temp. So, um, and that goes with, I mean, everything, boiling water, you're heating yourself up from the inside, having a fire, it's warming you. So the second that we start facing something or mother nature throws us the curveball and um, we get wet, the clock's ticking now. And so the skills of like knowing how to make fire, whether it's, you know, a modern way, like flicking the bick or a primitive method, that's all fun and it's great. But the reason why it's important is because it's got, it's maintaining your core tent. Right. So um, yeah, that, that's the main thing that, that I try to teach. And I know that my, uh, the school that I work, that I work at too, that's, that's our main focus. That's what everything revolves around. Um, eating food gives you energy. Yes. It keeps you from dying of starvation, but it's also turning that furnace on inside of you. Right. So, um, having a knife is a great tool, but its main purpose is to figure out a way to keep your body at 98.6. Right. Yeah, that, that's cool to see the the background of it because I think a lot of uh you watch like Alone or something and they're they're like here's I've got all these skills and stuff like that but they don't ever really under you know kind of like unpack why that it's important and that you know looking at it through the lens of like well I need to keep my body temperature correct like actually it's pretty pretty intelligent because that's really what it boils down to like you know you yeah. get one side or the other it's pretty bad yeah and you know it it doesn't take a lot um especially in our like in our basic class like our introduction classes uh i always tell students and the ones that are brand new to all this it's always kind of like a unbelievable thing but i mean there's documented cases of people like in the swamps of louisiana that died from hypothermia and it was 70 degrees but it was raining and yep. it was over like just that dip like you spend enough time at 95 degrees like eventually it's going to get you yep. like it's a really weird thing that our bodies can do so much but we have to maintain this this core temp over yeah. time it might take a while but you dip below 98.6 it's going to get you right and yeah there's a, like I, a warm yeah, like uh, our, our guys are going to be overly familiar with the uh the heat exhaustion kind of thing because the big deal with the army is always like drink water drink water drink water like they're always trying to cool you down because we're always having all this gear on that we're working but the 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 um you know warm temperature hypothermia is something that like some of the probably the more senior guys know because like there was several cases not too long well it's been a while now but that uh these guys in swamp phase in uh ranger school died of hypothermia because they got it, it got down to into the low 70s and they were they're wading around in water and stuff and back then all you know well i think actually still now like our uniforms are all cotton so it's just like it's just sucking all their heat away and then they they start shivering and then they die so now that's kind of a big thing so yeah it's it's wild man and and even like when you start going down that rabbit that rabbit hole of like uh I know it wasn't too long ago that there was a guy, uh, like a trail runner in Arkansas, like mm -hmm. Eagle Rock Loop or Buffalo. Yep. And he went out with just like a hydro pack and like very minimal stuff. And it got, it got raining really bad. And that area, like the water comes out of nowhere. Yep. He had to stay, he had to stay like a night or two and he almost died. Like, and he wasn't even that far away from his vehicle. Like it's, 
it's a really wild thing and it just kind of it kind of goes to show you how how weak and fragile we are we don't have fur we don't have fangs we don't have teeth and we rarely wake up hungry every morning and like all the animals that you see or you want to hunt every morning they're waking up hungry like they're so much better than we are and that's that's a good thing to like know that um because it humbles you and it makes you realize like man i i can be better you know i could try to be like the coyote because he's hungry every morning and he does stuff because he's hungry right yeah so uh, let's kind of put ourselves in that, that situation that do that on uh, on eagle rock loop uh that like got in that situation and for those that don't know that area like not too long ago um killed like it was like 23 people they're like camped out and it flash flooded and to the point i've been up there here in the past like year and like the the, the level that that water got to was just insane like it was like, I, like it's a literally a wall of water going through the mountains and it sucked up a lot of people down so like if you were in that situation all you've got is a neck knife what do you do man uh yeah that's really tough so uh <laughs> kind of the way that i break down like hypothetical things like this is a lot it's really it's really going to be a rare instance for all of a sudden you wake up at camp and that scenario has now happened right. um a lot of little things have to go wrong for one big thing to compound to that so uh first and foremost like if you know you're going out on a trip for even just the weekend, even if it's just an overnight, honestly, that's it's gotten to the point now, if it's just an overnight for me, you tell your loved one, whether it's your spouse or your parents or your best friend, somebody, you tell them where you're going. Like if you can give them an exact location of where you're going or where you're planning to be on the trip, you tell them where you're going. So you leave a plan at home um, and you, you even try to give them a time frame of like, man, I'm I'm planning on being out of here at the pickup point or at my vehicle by two o'clock tomorrow. So you leave a plane at home and then uh, double double that. Like if you can do it with two people and the first thing that's going to happen if you are in a situation and someone's coming to, to look for you, you know, they're going to they're going to go from that last known location and slowly Z4, like however they, you know, their, their search and rescue teams work. But so leave a plane at home and then just don't uh don't leave don't leave home no matter how skilled you are without having some kind of insurance on you so you don't have to bring some huge big bag and and ruck of full of stuff unless you want to that's what makes you happy but uh have something on you so there nowadays there's ways to always keep something on you to stack the odds in your favor so like uh this necklace has a ferro rod on it and a striker on the back of it so that right there i don't have to rub two sticks together I, I can take this off and unless it gets ripped off my neck or like i said unless someone steals my pants like i'm gonna have a cutting tool on me you right. know so um but let's say for for this scenario that i am now stuck and for some reason uh you know, let's say I left the plan at home, but I am stuck with only a neck knife and it's freezing cold and flash flooding. Obviously, you want to get in the, into high ground. Um, and, you know, the first night is going to suck, but you can just your mental attitude alone. You can get through one night of uncomfortable camping. Yeah. And hopefully 
you're able to, uh, you know, to walk out the next day, you're not stranded somewhere. But um, if you know that you're kind of stuck and this is just the way it is, uh, you got to start trying to create your comforts. So having a knife, um, a simple neck knife is, is a huge tool because that can do things for you that, you know, stone sticks and stones can do, but it's going to be a lot quicker and a lot less calorie efficient. So, uh, or a lot more calorie efficient. So the first thing I would do is, you know, take a look around, hopefully it's not in the dark, but take a look around and see, like, get my bearings where I am, figure out how can I get out of, how can I make this bad situation I'm in right now a little bit better. So if I'm down near a flood area and I know that I'm standing in water, get out of there. Now I've already made myself a little better because right. I've gotten to high ground. So things aren't as bad compared down. Things aren't as bad as what they were. And then if I know I'm going to, I got to stay the night and it's gotten to the point that the water's super high from all the floods, but you know, it's slacked off raining. I need to start controlling my core temp. So, uh, I need to, if I don't have the right gear on, if I don't have a, um, some kind of shell or rain jacket, uh, I need to figure out a way to get dry. So I'm going to be looking for what nature gives me, um, any kind of overhanging tree, uh, any kind of dead fallen tree, any kind of natural shelter, rock formation, cave, whatever. Um, and, and hopefully try to wait it out, uh, in there if it's still raining, but, uh, yeah, there's, there's all kinds of stuff I could do, man. Um, you can do a scarecrow technique where you take debris or leaves, even if they're wet, and mm -hmm. stuff your body. Uh, give yourself more insulation, trap dead air, trap dead airspace. Um, uh, get yourself up off the ground, like get yourself some debris or even logs or whatever you need to do. Don't sleep on the bare ground. Uh, it it's always gonna suck the heat out of you. It's always gonna win. Um, right. That's why most people are cold when they sleep on the ground. So I would just slowly start trying to. Uh, calm myself down and figure out what are a few little things that I can do to make my situation better. And, and if I can walk out, if I'm not injured, I'm walking out. As soon as day daybreak comes up, I'm going to freeze my ass off throughout the night, but I'm going to walk out the next day. Um, that in itself is going to, going to raise your core body temp doing squats, um, air squats, whatever it might be, getting your muscles engaged uh, to raise your core temp. Um, a lot of us walk around with plenty of fat reserves on us. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, emergency rations. Uh, <laughs> so, um, it's really difficult to kind of play those hypothetical situation, hypothetical situations, but, um, that, that's what I would do. I would immediately assess how can I make things a little bit better and, uh, what tools do I have on me to help with that? And, you know, uh, and just try to wait out the night and then get out of there. Yeah. Um, it, we know. say like, uh, uh, always improve your fighting position. And it's like, yeah, uh, you know, there you go. And that, that's kind of the, uh, the mentality, that, like, uh, how more was real famous for saying that there's always one more thing that you can do. Uh, and, and like, we were soldiers that captured that, like he's like yelling at as they're running in formation or something, but that was something that he was like, really, uh, he wanted to hammer home to his formation that like, there's always something you can do. You're never just like, done like you know you never just give up it's always there's something that you can do to always like kind of make your uh, your life better that's kind of what I hear you saying uh, with that for sure yeah I mean and that goes back to kind of what we talked about before is like just your mental attitude is such a vital uh tool it's it's yeah. a really big resource that you know 
if you can just keep hope alive, if you can just, um, you know, maintain some level of of hope and sanity, you know, uh, right. it can do a lot for you, you know. Um, yeah, so uh, Jack Sparrow, like, uh, what do you say that that uh, your the the problem isn't the problem, your attitude about the problem is the problem, or something? Dude, yeah, I, that's a great one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's so true. Yeah, one hundred percent. And that that goes with. I mean, I I have guys come into my office all the time with uh, all, all. I mean, you name it, anything from family life stuff to work stuff to you know who knows what. You know, at, at all levels, like from privates to you know like battalion commanders and, and beyond. Um, and a, a lot of times the answer kind of comes down to letting them talk it out and kind of get that, that emotion out, just kind of expressing it. And then kind of going back to that principle is like, okay, well, what can you do? Like what's in your power to, to fix it would make things just a little bit better. And uh, they call that a solution focused therapy, uh, it, you know, whatever. Some people call it stoicism. Some people just call it like having some grit, but that's, that's all, it's all the same thing described from different angles. So it's pretty cool to hear that it's alive and well in the bushcraft world. Yeah, man. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, like I said, the goal is to teach people skills that they hopefully never have to use, but, um, you know, there's no way for me to teach someone to be mentally capable of this or that, but, you know, being around other people, I know like that you see are mentally strong or have that fortitude. It, it does wear off on you. It makes you want to be that way. So, um, yeah. Yeah, positivity is uh, contagious for sure. Like, you yeah, know, like you know, yeah. there's a there was a um a quote I found in the in a newspaper a long time ago, and I cut it out and I taped it in my Bible. I had it there for years and years. I still have the Bible, but I use different ones now. But um, it uh it said that basically like uh, no man can be so insignificant that uh, his example can uh ha like have no effect or do no harm or something like that. That basically everybody put something out there and, and the question is like, what are you putting out there? You know, and then what are you receiving from other people, you know, and, and how does that affect you? Yeah. 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 So you took off from, uh, uh, from Texarkana, got into this stuff and then kind of like launched the bearded burden, uh, like way back, like a long time ago. Right. So yeah. when did you get started on your, on your Instagram presence? Yeah. Um, so yeah, growing up there, uh, Man, there's a lot of things I wish I would have done different. Obviously, we, we all think that. Um, but uh, there was, you know, the the constant presence in my life was always my two grandpas. So, like, one of my grandpas was a hunter, and the other grandpa was a fisherman. And I didn't do as much hunting with my grandpas what I wanted to do um, growing up, but I did go fishing quite a bit. And so, really, uh, like a short, long story short. Uh, in college, I just really kind of was doing whatever. I was really playing a lot of music and focusing on that, but I moved moved away from doing the outdoor stuff um, and just being outdoors like what I what I should have been. But once uh, once we knew that you know we didn't have a lot of time left with uh, with my grandpa, and I was coming back uh, every other weekend or so to spend time with them, and once he was gone, it just really kind of hit me like, man. Uh, this was something I used to really enjoy with him. And it's just something that really uh, brought a lot of fun and, and happiness to me growing up. And, you know, I just want to get back to doing this. And it kind of felt good because it was like, man, it's kind of a way to like keep doing it with him, even though he's not here. And so I just started, uh, I just started looking at like trying to get some of my college buddies, uh, Hey, let's go camping at this state park or whatever. And right around that time, 
is right when reality TV uh, started becoming a thing. And so uh, I had found uh, a guy over in the UK, Ray Mears, um, that's on the BBC. Mm-hmm. And every once in a while, there would be something like on PBS or one of those public channels of his. And so I'd seen a, like one or two episodes of that. And then, of course, Man vs. Wild with Bear Girls came out. Yeah. Um, and people can love him or hate him, but, you know, he did huge things for, I mean, if anything, just introducing people to this stuff. And then the show that really cranked it up for me was uh, called Dual Survival. And it's an incredible show. Uh, it kind of got a little wacky as the seasons got going, but like season one and two and even season three were really cool. But I say all that because I never knew that there were, that this was a thing. I never knew that um, until those shows that there were multiple techniques and methods and like terms for doing this stuff. So uh, the first thing that I ever really focused on that obviously fire is a big thing that a lot of us like to do. I mean, uh, right, we, call right. it, we call it caveman TV. <laughs> it's the original entertainment. So uh so the first thing that i i saw on one of those shows flint and steel like taking a, a hardened piece of metal and striking against a rock and it creates a spark and i was like man that's pretty cool like that's some like long hunter fur trapper you know yeah uh, kind of stuff and so i looked up on youtube and back then uh facebook was just had it was not too far removed from like having to have dot edu right students um but there were there were only like a couple of facebook groups that i saw and then there was youtube there wasn't instagram there wasn't any of this other stuff and youtube even then was still this was like 2011 um 2012 youtube then was still not saturated like what it is now and so i found a video of a guy that uh was showing flint and steel stuff in his home like with his fireplace and the hearth and stuff behind him and it was just freaking cool. I mean, like yeah. it, it was like the coolest thing ever. And he was really knowledgeable. And in the description of that video, he uh, linked his Facebook group and it was called Wolf Customs. They're out of Kansas. So I joined it and that just opened up the floodgates. Um, that and uh, a, a couple other Facebook groups. But anyways, it just really kind of opened up like, man, this is something that is very engaging I'm outdoors, so I feel better. Uh, you're breathing fresh air. You're kind of, the world is your playground. And uh, and this seems like a really uh, detailed thing that I could spend a lot of time on and it'd probably take me a while to, to be good at it. Right. So I, at the time, had started a, my YouTube channel in 2009 and it was solely for music. I didn't have enough money to go to a studio didn't have enough money to record any kind of album, but I knew I could sit down with my old crappy laptop and put songs up. And for some reason, I had this fear of like, if something happened to me because of the choices I'm making right now, <laughs> no one would ever hear this music that I've written and played. So I want to document it. So the first video I ever put up on my channel in 2009 was me playing a song. And a little bit of time went by. I got into all this stuff. And I was like, man, there's a lot of people that I can connect with through YouTube because I watched their stuff. 
a comment on it. And then, you know, at the time the challenges were a big thing and like just a really cool, uh, small, close knit community. And so I started focusing on this stuff and I went to, I drove all the way to Ohio. My wife surprised me with a ticket to this event in Ohio called the Pathfinder Gathering. And I saved up money after she got me the ticket and I got a rental car. And that next year I drove all the way up there by myself. And just from a couple of guys that I'd seen on YouTube, uh, it was a five day event, all focused on like outdoor living skills. And uh, I made friends that I was camped next to, and they're still my friends to this day. And that just kind of jump started. Like there's a community here. There's a lot of stuff to learn and a lot of different ways to do it. Um, it's not just like, you know, this is the way to do it. And there's really no other way. Like it, what I saw in it, honestly, was a way to be creative and it was artistic. Right. Um, and because it is like you're making stuff with your hands and you can create all kinds of different things. So it just really sucked me in and it didn't take long before it just consumed me. I mean, like it still does to this day. It's what I think about. It's what I want to do. Like it's unbelievable. And so I just kind of started, I, I started the bearded Burton with the mindset of like, well, these other guys have a channel name and they kind of have their, you know, at the time, few people had logos. It was just like little profile pictures or a sunset or whatever. But right. I was like, man, I've already got some music stuff on my channel. And I don't want to pigeonhole myself by like Burton Bushcraft or like, because I want to share music still too. So right. I was like, what's something that can be an all-encompassing? And at the time, I like had a little chin strap beard. And I was like, man, I really want to grow my beard out. Never done it before. And I was like, Bearded Burton, that's kind of catchy. And I was like, okay. And so I, I made that my name. And uh, yeah, it just kind of took off from there. Like uh, had a, we had a friend in college that was a graphic design artist. And I told her kind of what I was wanting. I want a beard with some kind of nature or trees. And it like, start, yeah, here, it started off as like a, like one of these cross logos with a beard, yep. and an axe and a fish, like everybody's doing that. And then I, I got to looking at it and I was like, you know, I really like the beard. There's not really a lot of beard logos at this time. And so it really was just a way for me to kind of like, you know, connect to the people that I saw doing this stuff already. And it was just like a monkey see monkey do kind of thing. And uh monkey pee all over you. Sorry. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and yeah, it, it just, and over, over the years, really the, like the last five years or so, it's just kind of become like what it is. I really, up until this, up until now, like I really don't have a direction, I guess. I just kind of, you know, just do you. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah, whatever, whatever's, whatever's interesting me and intriguing me is, is what I want to share. Like, I just love, you know, whatever I can do to either make someone smile or make somebody feel good. Like, you know, it's, it's fun for me. Right. Right. And so you're sitting at like, uh, like 22,000 followers or my short end. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. It, it is crazy. Never, so like, yeah, that, so that's like a big interest of ours that we've had a couple of different, um, uh, like military influencers come on and talk and just kind of share best practices because for us, like right now, like the nation, I mean, like every service is suffering from a recruiting crisis. Part of that is kind of like a blowback from COVID. 
part of that is a disconnect from Gen Z with, you know, like just military life. I, I just sat through a, a week long, uh, you know, seminar basically on some of those problems. And uh, one of the things that they talked about is that like uh, the modern generation doesn't really know anything about the military. They think it's all just full metal jacket all day long that you just show up and somebody yells at you for four years and, and that's it, which is laughable. It's not, not that, that way at all. But um, you know, one of the ways that we we've chosen to try to like connect with them is over social media because they, they all have it. Um, and so like, what, what kind of best practices could you pass on to us and our social media managers on like how to actually be really relevant and, and really effective on Instagram the way that you've been? Um, I think it goes, I think it just goes back to like building that community. And I know that that's way harder to do than what it is for me to say but like um vulnerability is a really uh a really important thing now more than ever uh right like when i'm teaching if i'm at a class if i'm like let's say i'm a student and i'm taking a class it's one of the coolest things ever when the instructor says like i don't know the answer to that but i'll look it up for you or uh yeah i've never done this before but let's let's try it together um because so many people act and play like they've got everything figured out and none of us do. So I think, um, I think for me, understanding that like social media is a tool just like anything else. And if I can use it for the good of like, I want to build a community. I want to interact with people. Um, if there's somebody that I follow that's over in the UK, like, it's super cool what they're doing. I may never see them my, in my entire life, but I can connect to them somehow by using this tool. Yeah. And there's other people that want to do that with me for some reason. So um, I think treating your your social media as uh, a community-driven tool and not as like a moneymaker or like, not saying that you guys do that, but like, right. I think that's a big, a big thing that people... Um, kind of fall in the trap of is like instant gratification. This person does this and they immediately get millions of views. And how come when I do it, it doesn't work like uh, that. I'm not sure. Uh, I still don't have it figured out. Uh, I don't understand why I just know this is going to be a really engaging thing and people are going to love it. And it just falls. It yeah. But yeah. then there's other stuff like me I posted this stupid video of me sawing this piece of wood. Uh, like, I don't know if you guys know what like fat wood is, but in pine trees, once uh, they start to die or rot, they fill their, their limbs with sap and it's really flammable. It's an awesome resource to make fire. But anyways, I posted this video of me sawing this piece of fat wood off and I captioned it with like, I found the gold and this, it blew up to like 1.2 million views. And That's I'm just crazy. like, like, yeah why what is what is the reason for this so but i think it's because there's curiosity there like so you can definitely post things in a way that aren't just bam here's a cup of coffee um you can use perspective and you can like you know make people you know we're in this mindset now of like the microwave doesn't work fast enough and long form video format is like it's dead almost and it's really sad because i love yeah. that but so everything's got to be like five minutes or less. And it just goes to show like, again, how fragile and messed yeah. up. But um, 
but so I think kind of keeping your mindset focused more on uh on the community aspect of it like uh spotlighting that you know being in the military isn't all like sweating blood and getting yelled at but like you know you build this camaraderie with people you establish like lifelong friends like the hard things that you go through with someone makes you a lot closer to them than just like knowing someone for 15 years because you went to school together like you know i i could just go spend a weekend with one of you guys and have a horrible time in nature but then the rest of our life i'm gonna be like dude remember that time yeah sucked and we got through it like so i know i don't really know if this is answering the question but i think uh i think maybe showcasing like uh showcasing outside the military like what it does as far as uh the community that you get from it the brotherhood you get from it and uh you know yeah i'm really i don't know man it's really tough because like there's a lot of analytical things there's a lot of insight stuff that we could talk about like you need to make sure that you post at this time of the day because people overseas are just not waking up when we're all asleep you need to look at your engagement and see like you know, and I try not to get caught up on that, but it's, it is a business and you got to look at your analytics. But the thing that's always rung true from the beginning until now is when I post something that I know other people are, have either done or experienced, uh, that engagement is genuine and that always shines through any content that shows just genuineness is always more attractive because there's a lot of like, there's a lot of people that that are lonely. There's a lot of people that are looking for either a companion or a friend or just a way to feel important. And the military is a great is a great way to solve all those things. Like, you can feel very important if you if you work hard and you can, you know, and you're and you're smart enough and you work hard, you can rank up. If you don't care about that, you can have a solid career. Um, and you're going to find companionship. You're going to find somebody that you relate to. That's yeah. going to be your friend, especially after it's over. Um, well, I say that, but there's a lot of people that, you know, you just get, you do your job and then nobody wants anything to do with you. I know that's a big, <laughs> a big issue with veterans, but um, again, I think that's what, that's the the thing that we've said is like that crosses over with nature and being in the military is, you know, the people that love being in nature, a lot of times we're either in the military or have a mindset that relates to it, but they, uh, they find companionship through other people that love it too. Yeah. So. No, yeah. And that, that resonates on a bunch of different levels. Like, uh, I ran our, uh, our battalion page for years, still do. Um, and, uh, we ended up seeing a, a bunch of people come into the military. We had, uh, like I remember one guy who was in Arizona, uh, messaged us and was just like, "Hey, like I want to, I want to come to to your state." So like he wanted to do an interstate transfer to come to be a part of our our unit because he saw the community that our Instagram you know projected out, and um, we've we've seen that time and time again. And um, it just it really seems that 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 culture is magnetic. It just pulls people in. It's like, "Hey, come on in. You know, you can do cool things here. We're all um, we're all together." And then you sit through um, like this this last week with the uh, the National Guard's marketing uh, people that came up that uh you know and, and but the the problem is that's that's hard 
part to uh, to do because like it's easy to say like well if you post this picture at the right time at this and you do all these things correctly then they'll want to enlist but it's not true like what you've got to do is you have to build the internal culture and then the social media piece of it just documents it that's all it does just saying like hey look this is what we're about this is what we do everything's different you know from here like a you know our dark rifle battalion and our highlander battalion two completely different cultures or so and so you look them on look at look at them on social media you'll see that like we value certain things we uh, you know address certain things certain ways and then the highlanders do something totally different and it's it, it comes out whenever they start submitting pictures and videos and stuff to be posted because that, that culture basically kind of guides them in which way they 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 view things in the way the way they document things, and that is some some of it is attractive to some people, and some of it is attractive to other types of people. And so, like uh, you actually kind of like build those groups very effectively with that tool um, that way. And so, it's kind of cool to see that like you're basically having the same experience in uh, in bushcrafting, you know? Yeah, yeah, and you know, sadly, uh, I mean, it's a rant that we could go on, but I don't, don't feel like it. But sadly. A lot of the content that uh, probably you guys enjoy and then also I enjoy, like even just me posting simple stuff of knives is not uh, popular on some social media platforms. So, you know, even even me and some of the stuff that I do, uh, I get I mean, I'm throttled to the point of like, you know, why would uh, why would we want to be more self-reliant and whatever? But. Um, right. I'm getting that is I think uh, it's pretty I can't imagine trying to run a military uh, page like that because they're going to throttle you if you show stuff of guns, violence, yep. any yep. of this stuff. It's going to get tagged. It's going to get throttled, um, shadow banned, whatever you want to call it. So, um, you know, that yeah. in itself is an uphill battle. Yeah, it is. Like uh, Whenever I took over, I was with, uh, one of the managers on our artillery page. And so you have a bunch of guys that are that are loading like you know the guns and, and they're they're shooting them and stuff like that. And they had like several posts that had been flagged. Um, but like it, but Instagram at least at this point had had communicated that they said, "Hey, look, we, we're like we were like basically like turning this one off in uh, you know on the search page, and uh, and you could dispute it." So I got in there and, and I got in there looking. It's like well, guns and violence and stuff like that. I was like, "Hey, look, this is the U.S. military. Like, if you don't like us being violent, maybe you'll like somebody else being violent. Oh. Like they'll be violent to you instead of you know us to them." You know, and uh, we eventually. I, I, it took me three or four weeks to kind of get through it all, but I eventually got two of them turned back on. I think one of them is still out there, but at that point, I was just like, you know what? I'll just like I'll kill you with. Tons of posts. <laughs> you know, like we'll just do a lot of this and, and we'll just keep on uh, you know hacking the system. Yeah, I mean that's really the uh that's really the approach too that I kind of took uh when all the COVID stuff happened and everyone was like locked down, I knew like man, people are gonna be looking at screens more than ever right now. Yeah. And so uh reels, Instagram reels that just kind of was just kind of getting going. And I was like, man. Yeah, I can do like three of these a day, um, yeah. you know, 30 seconds or less. I can do like three of these a day. And instead of casting one huge net to try to catch a bunch of fish, I'm just going to throw out a bunch of little ones all day long. Oh, yeah. And that really boosted uh, and got, you know, kind of got me going. But um, if yeah, you're, you, you went from like 10,000 to 20,000, like overnight, man, like it was like really fast. Yeah. And now again, like I've hit this, you know, this, threshold of like so the thing i've noticed is that uh 
people that have a ton of followers that aren't like a famous celebrity have either done something and like gotten just the rarest lightning strike thing ever and had a lot of followers sadly they probably the other option is they probably paid for them yeah because that's a big thing to just pay for bots and pay for followers um or you know it, it's just really hard to organically uh get a bunch of followers and to get engagement. None of this is organic anymore. Um, I mean, I know for a fact, like some close friends that I follow and they follow me. And unless they go and click on my profile, they don't ever see my posts naturally in their feed. Wow. Um, And it just goes to show that like, they're, you're going to get what they want you to have. And so just knowing that and accepting that uh, right off the bat, right. <laughs> comforting, like, okay, well, you know, not that I don't need to work hard or not that I don't need to share, or like that I want to post or share, but like, you know, you got to love what you're doing or it's going to burn you out because yeah. they're, you know, they're deciding what your, what your followers are going to be. So, yeah. um, and again, just trying to stay, you know, the, analytical side of it trying to stay up on all of the things that are happening and like you know used to the hashtag stuff was big and now that doesn't even matter anymore yeah to uh you know whatever was trending like when music and then you attached it to a video i i just don't even know anymore like honestly i just kind of like i stopped trying and i just do stuff stuff. Yeah. yeah man i mean like you know if it makes me happy like i really Honestly, what I've found that like really makes me happy, I get a lot of joy from it, is just trying to document like, let's say, like earlier in the year, I went on this awesome trip to Arizona to this primitive skills event. Well, when I got back, I just made kind of like a timeline. Like I try to document and capture and get video and photos of, you know, my time when I'm there and I kind of post in an order. So it's kind of like a, a journal entry where people yeah. click from the first post and kind of see all the stuff and you know yeah that's that's been the the technique that i've taken on my own personal page is that like like i don't um it's good to have especially as a writer uh for people to come and kind of like kind of check your credentials and say like oh okay well this guy's doing this or that or whatever um but really a lot of the things that i post that's just what i happen to be doing at the time and then i'll just try to make like a kind of art artistic flair of that yeah. uh, for you know for our military stuff it's it's a lot the same it's a little bit more in depth because we have to like post regularly and, and we only train so often so we have to like take a lot of pictures then and then schedule them out and all this other kind of stuff but but yeah i i, I hear what you're saying that's kind of that, that makes a lot of sense to me yeah 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 so i got i got a question so how, how do you guys uh navigate all right so organic stuff seems to be what's engaging to people so how do you navigate trying to go through your everyday experiences and then document them in a way that still feels organic. So like, for example, yesterday I was, uh, I was working on my uh, Ford and I was trying to put in this uh, dual steering stabilizer that is absolutely not designed for the truck. It's designed for the generation prior, but it's the same front axle. So I was like, whatever, we'll just do it. But nothing else is the same whatsoever. So like, there's all this like uh, ghetto rigging for, you know, um, all intents and purposes, try and get this into work. So I finally got it to work, but all that stuff that I went through to try to get it to work. Um, I feel like it would have been super engaging, but like, 
how do you document all that in a way that still feels organic? I feel like I need like a body cam or something like that. Cause I don't want to stop what I'm doing to like break out my phone to try and capture this like organic moment. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't know if you want to answer. No, I, I have my answer, but you go ahead. So, um, so for me, that's kind of what I was alluding at earlier. Like early on, my mindset was way different than what it is now. And it just took time and, um and honestly just experiences and whatever but I'll at this point now in my life I will never take myself out of the moment for any of this stuff yeah Uh, so I'm only going to take a picture of a scenic like whatever like if it's a sunset or like an awesome picture of an elk or whatever it might be I'm only going to do that if I've already gotten my fill of it if it's yeah. filled me up, if it's made me, you know, have that reaction and the feeling that I want, then I want to share it, but I'll never go out of my way to like force it. And so, uh, you've always got to do it for yourself first and foremost. And if you're not in the mindset of sharing, uh, whether you do a good job editing the photo or your caption or whatever, for some reason that, that shows in the content, okay. I don't know how, but people will pick it up. Um, so that's my mindset. Now it used to not be, I used to just be like, you know, a dog chasing the fire truck. Like you got to get it. You got to get it. You got to get it. You got to do it. Um, and it'll burn you out. So, uh, the fact that you didn't document that process, I think, you know, there's your answer. Uh, but I also know, you know, the creative side of me wants to document stuff. So sometimes I intentionally am like, okay, I'm going out in the woods today and I'm going to practice this skill. And I want people to see the process of me failing and hopefully achieving. And I consciously make that decision before I leave. And then other times, excuse me, it's just like spur of the moment thing. Like, man, my buddy's being a goofball right now. And this is a really cool photo. And I take a picture of it. Um, So I don't really know the answer to it, but I feel like, uh, you know, there's kind of one or two ways to tackle it. You can just take pictures of everything and eventually you'll see like, man, this sucks. And you'll, or just when you kind of feel it, I mean, that's kind of getting like hippy dippy, but like, uh, you know, you kind of feel it, you know, like, man, like either my wife or my dad or somebody will really enjoy seeing this. They're not here with me right now. And they would really enjoy it. And so then I capture it. Yeah, no, that 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 brings true with me. Um, I, I don't know what point I crossed the, the Rubicon where I, where I was just like, look, I'm not like staging this anymore. I'm just going to do my thing. And then um, there's been several times where um, I've seen deer walk out and I'm just like, I'm just consuming that that moment. Like where it's just like, I just don't like, I had the first deer I saw uh, second day of bow season that this uh you know, this past year, it was this little doe, yearling doe, I wasn't a shooter, she came out, and she's just, like, completely oblivious, I mean, like, just like a little kid, I'm like, you have no idea that I, I could just completely just, like, you know, you know, stick one in you right now, and then her ears were oversized of her head, and, and she probably weighed maybe a whopping, like, 80, 90 pounds, it was, like, this year's deer that she just grew really well, because we had that really good acorn uh, harvest, and, um, and so they, so she, you know, walked out, and I was like, you know, this would make a really good reel, I had that thought, 
And I, you know, I kind of started to, to reach for my phone. I'm in my saddle, just like lean back. And I was just like, you know what? No, like I just screw it. Like if you, you're, if you don't have like, you know, the, uh, the fortitude to get to this point, then you don't deserve to see it. And I'm just going to sit there and just take it for myself. And then if you, you know, you get to the point where it's like, you kind of have enough of that. And like, then it's like my, whenever the sixth deer walks out, it's like, okay, I'll get her, you know, like, oh. and, and that's kind of like the, the point where I got to. And I'll, I'll tell you this, that the, uh, there's a reason why photography is a job. Like there's a, there's very much like a, a vocational side to it. That's a lot of work and it's a lot of like thinking and it, it kind of get exhausting and stuff. So if you can outsource that, like if you look at a lot of my posts, I'll do collab posts with a guy, uh, his name's Larry Chafin. Uh, and, and like a lot of times because he, he likes photography. That's what he likes to do. And so like, uh, one of the last reels I did, he's in the back of the boat, like basically just talking and, uh, and, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm jigging trees. And I was just like, here, film this. And so he's like, okay. And he gets a lot out of that. So if you can kind of pair up with somebody who just likes to film stuff or likes to take pictures and, and, you know, you can give them photo credit for, that's like a win, you know, like, it's like, yeah, everybody, everybody's winning at that point. I don't have to mess with it. And then he's, uh, yeah. he's doing it, you know, that's almost the exact, uh, working relationship that me and my buddy Philip have with the school, He's completely fine with like never taking photos and just living in every moment. And I'm like documenting and taking stuff because <laughs> I do enjoy it. You know, I, I really have a lot of fun with it, but um, I can't remember the name of the movie, but it's got Ben Stiller. Uh, Walter Mitty. Yes. I know exactly where you're going with it. Yeah. dude, And that scene is just like incredible. Like yeah. they get to this, they get to the photo. Yeah, and Stiller is just waiting, and I don't remember the word for word, but like, oh, I can't. Cause I, I've, I've watched that a thousand times. Because yeah, so yeah, what it's so true. So all right, so the the kind of the frame to set it up, set up for everybody. Uh, ben Stiller is like the dynamic character in the story, and he's gone from being like this little office, like I follow the rules and stuff. To all of a sudden, he's going to get fired. So he's like, you know, just screw the world. I'm just going to go do things. Uh, and it's a little bit more refined than that. There's like, a, there's always a girl involved and all this other kind of stuff, but. Anyways, the so what is he has to get uh, get still thirty three. He develops photos and he thinks that this photographer has the 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 negative that he needs to uh, to to develop. And so he goes through this massive process. It, 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 you know, if you follow like the hero's journey, uh, it, uh, Joseph Campbell, like he's this is his. You know, like he's coming out of the cave. He's he's the hero now. He finally catches up with him, and he's in a in Afghanistan on the side of a mountain. Uh, trying to take a picture of this like rare snow leopard and like you know he, like it's very clear that this guy's gone through a lot of effort to get to, to even find this super rare leopard and he has a camera set up he goes and he sits down and uh and like you know ben stiller like comes up behind him and he's just like oh my god like i finally found you and uh the uh the photographer i forgot forget his name Dude, what's uh, his the actor's yeah. name is it uh, uh it's the uh, sean penn's the actor but i don't remember the yes. character's name right yeah and so like uh he says uh he's he's he says something like hey can you get out of my life like so even this guy's just like he's so chill that he's like out in the middle of like nowhere and this random dude walks up and sits down beside of him he's just completely like relaxed where he's just like hey can you just like move to the left you know or whatever and uh the the leopard comes out and like uh he has him framed up in in the picture and uh, he, he goes to take the picture, and then he just stops and kind of sets back. And uh, Ben Stiller's like, well, like, aren't you going to take the picture? And he goes, no, sometimes, like, you know, the camera gets in the way of the moment. And it's mm -hmm. like, dude, that is so true. It's just yeah. absolutely true. Like, it's just like, in, in, until you've been there, I don't uh, think you can understand how, how true it is. You know, it's just like, it, like, you know, writing, photography, music, you're trying to capture 
real life. You're trying to grab this like this little chunk of it and and then give it to somebody and say like this is what I went through or whatever. But then sometimes that that you know like effort of altruism and the 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 tools and things that we use they become like obstructions for it. And you're like, no, 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 like, like, like I've kind of missed the mark. I, I need to get back to the thing, the whole reason that I'm there. You don't become a, you know, a snow leopard photographer because you're really interested in photography. You become it because you want that experience. You don't become a writer because you you want to just write endlessly on your keyboard. You, you do it because you're trying to connect to some experience that's like spiritual almost. And then, and, and commute it. same thing with, with music, you know? Yeah. 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 Oh, it's so good. Yeah. Wait. Yeah, yeah. That, that's that's a really extremely well done scene. Like just fantastic. All of it. All of yeah. it. Yeah. There's a uh one of my favorite. I went to college with them. One of my favorite singer songwriters. His name is David Ramirez, and he's got a song called uh. What's it called? Anyways, the the lyric that that's in there that rings true to this is he says, "Be careful with your hobbies." they may define you someday uh save some of your stories save just a few of your uh, stories from the sound waves yeah and it's uh, killer yeah. like yeah. because there's certain things that either you take the photo for yourself or you don't take it at all and you just look at the moment or you write a song for yourself and no one else is ever going to hear it yeah. but you know that's honestly probably why you do what you do like yeah. you know yeah. i i love teaching people uh, something that might save their life one day or something that might make them want to go and spend more time in nature. But honestly, like if I'm not taking the time for myself to go out and have this epic moment that is for me, that feeds me, yeah. Uh, then there's, you know, I've got no right to teach any of that crap. Like, yeah. you know, I, it's just a job at that point. It, there's no passion behind it. Yeah, you kind of lost the soul to it. I, I, I'll say as a writer, I really kind of like evolved. There's, I can look back on like kind of like my whole writing experience and like these there's these different moments. At the moment where I could write a four thousand word story that is like like bringing me to tears as I'm writing it, and then kind of get back to the point where I'm just like delete. I just delete it all. It's like not backed up or whatever. And I was like, that was for me, not for anybody else. And like and and feel the like the satisfaction of processing that, codifying it working the artwork in the end of the sentences and stuff like that and then just know that like that wasn't for the rest of the world that was just for me like you know that that's really like that was a powerful moment because at, at that point i i don't know like, i kind of feel like i i i own the process to a point where like i could now really kind of like do something with it like whereas before the process kind of owned me if, if that makes any sense so yeah no that that makes a lot of sense i think uh i think with songwriting i kind of get into a place like that where so, I mean, uh, a lot of the stuff that I write where I write a lot of stuff all in one fell swoop, I have inspiration for that. But I find when I'm pulled away from that inspiration, I'll come back to. So here in Washington, it's a, it's a lot harder for me to write music than when I'm like on the road doing something else. Because a lot of my music is, I don't know, it's just a lot of metaphors for being like alone, uh, whether that's like lonely or whether it's like just solitude or any any other way to describe it uh but here in washington i mean my, my life is pretty dope it's pretty cush so there's not a lot of uh solitude because i got three kids and a wife and they're wonderful but there's just not a lot of alone time and then there's also not a lot of there's there's no loneliness at all yeah. so i'm pulled away from that so i find myself trying to just write this music that i think people would like and then 
man, I delete over half of the songs that I write in Washington. But like, whereas I'm on the, on the road writing music, I retain almost every one of them. Right. Yeah, I mean, I not to because I mean I I play and sing and write music too, but like I know this has nothing to do with uh, bushcraft or survival, but like it it does for me because uh, I see that stuff as art, and I see like you obviously see what you're doing as art too, and like we know music is art and it's therapy too, and uh, some of the most uh, awesome times that I've had has been at night when it's too dark to do a class or whatever. And we're all just kind of hanging out around a campfire and I always bring my guitar and yeah. play music and somebody else might there play music. But as far as like the, the creative process goes and it, and it totally relates to, uh, you know, the Instagram stuff too. And, and all the outdoor stuff uh, with my music, I, I'm this, I'm that exact way, man. Like I'll go months without writing anything. And I used to really uh, beat myself up over that because, uh, well, if I'm not writing, then somebody else is and, you know, find my value and how much I'm creating and how much I'm writing. And that's just a bunch of bull crap. Like you write whenever something inspires you, um, mm -hmm. because when you share, if you share that with somebody, that genuineness and that authenticity is going to come out when you play it uh and i always tell people i rock mostly all my stuff is sad uh it's sad it's dark um i don't care if it's ever on the radio but what i do care is that if i share it with somebody it either helps them and heals them somehow because they went through it or it connects us somehow because they're giving me their time they can never get back by listening to my stuff and when I try to force something, uh, that's that's just doing what all the summer hits on the radio. I mean, that's what that's yeah. the why they do it. And yeah. that stuff's only there for that summer, and nobody remembers that. Like, but what people do remember is that one like really beautiful love song that like they'll listen to over and over again, or that really sad song about losing their dog, or like you know whatever it might be, like that's the stuff that gets played that people go yeah. back to that yeah. people want to hear because whether or not we're open and vulnerable to show people when we're sad or express, you know, man, I'm in a really dark time right now. At some point we're all alone with our thoughts and, you know, I would rather write and create music or whatever it might be to help it help somebody out when they're in that time, not whenever they're at the pool drinking a beer and life's incredible. Like yeah, right. somebody else can do that crap. I don't, I don't have any interest in that. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, I guess like what I'm hearing, man, is that you're kind of finding that when you just do it because you feel led to is when you're happiest. Yeah. Force it. You're like, I don't want to share this crap. I don't care about like, and that's a good thing. I don't, suppress that like that's okay. that's a really good thing man like i i've got so many songs that i wrote and i've never shared with people and i love it yeah like, because it was something experience or something that i went through that made me feel like writing it yeah i'll i'll say this that uh, i'm a big kenny chesney fan i have been since i was like in high school I remember the first day, like uh, when I first got my car, I had the uh, uh, No Shoes, No Shirts, No Problems CD, and I literally like played it until like it just basically like went out. 
And um, uh, the, if you go through his uh, his different albums throughout the years, um, he ends up getting like dumped by Renee Zellinger uh, for a while, and then, like, all these rumors go go wild. And that's when Kenny Chesney really kind of goes from this evolution of being like a country pop singer who's just like blah 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 blah, like you know, like thinks my tractor sexy and all the other country tropes uh, that none of them ever ride, ride horses or drive tractors, uh, you know, but. Um, <laughs> They get to uh, he gets to this point where he goes down to the British Virgin Islands where he has a house and he uh, you know writes an album called uh, Songs from the Old Blue Chair and I, I just recently went through and like processed all I went through all his songs and then made a Spotify list of my Kenny Chesney hits the vast majority of them come from that album because and if you look at them every single one of them is it's like who wrote the song Kenny Chesney who wrote the song it's not Kenny Chesney and or he's performing for somebody else he wrote the song these are very real very vulnerable songs of him just going and talking about like this is the, the people that I that I live with on the island. This is these are you know the feelings that I'm having about whatever the, you know all these things. And then like he's like two albums later he produces like a, an album that's just you know, very Nashville like and it's just like I was like man every one of these songs is just garbage. Like it's just like whatever. And yeah. it, you know it's yeah it's, so you could tell like there's a, there's a real difference. I mean look at like um oh uh forgot his name uh who wrote um I'm, I'm, i'll come back to me here in a, here in a second but like that you can tell these like like dirk's Bentley early on a lot of his songs were like really really good and then he gets you know corrupted by nashville and then it becomes all about money and it just completely like loses its soul chris I'm stapleton trying. stapleton is like amazing because he never does that like we went and saw him in kansas city with uh our uh, with uh sergeant major england and like uh and like he gets out there with like him and his wife and like it's basically nothing on stage, and then like his girls like running around backstage. You guys, we can see it where, where from where we were at. I think at one point they actually came out and was just like, "Hey, I'm a kid on stage, whatever," and, and left. You know, and but like his songs are so good because they're so genuine and they're so real. Um, yeah. so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I think that I think he I think he came up around Nashville, which is kind of crazy that he's never like corrupted by that whole scene. He just stayed true to true he, to himself. Which he did impressive. it right, though. He didn't care about being seen or heard for a long time. He just wrote stuff for other people, yeah. like big hits for like Celine Dion, like all kinds of people. Oh and yeah. Okay. Eventually, uh, he was. I I don't know who it was. I, I mean, there's no way it wasn't his wife because she's incredible too. Yeah. Uh, you need to share this. You need to share your voice. And but, yeah, man, I. I dig the songwriter stuff. Uh, he's one of those guys that he he writes real stuff. He yeah. doesn't write for anybody. Uh, or it feels like he doesn't write for anybody but himself. I mean, I'm sure he does. But, you know, you're not – your motive is to share. I think if your motive is to share a story or an experience, that's probably a pretty good place to be. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. I, I don't want to uh, let you go unless we, we talk about uh, knives. I know you're working for like an LT right now. Uh, yeah. So like t tell us. So let me preface this that like if you go around the armory and you walk around, everybody's kitted up, whatever else, everybody's got some like, I'm a badass and I'm going to gut like, you know, Charlie knife like it, on their, their kit. So knives are popular, but like I don't think anybody has a, a, a clue on how to actually go about using a knife as a, a functional tool. So, yeah. Um, Man, so this is a really fun world. Uh, so <laughs> originally, this mindset with the knives, especially in the outdoor industry, was like this 
mythical creature of called the one tool option. Oh. Uh, if you have everything but this, if you have nothing but this one tool, what would it be? And the paradox to that is like, well, who uses a knife probably more than anybody on a day-to-day basis, like hours on end? And it's a chef, professional chef. If you go and look at what they have, they don't have one knife. (laughs) It's just not true. They've got a butcher block of different knives for different things. So it, it quickly burned, that candle burns out um, when you spend time actually using it because I could have this big, this big badass knife that looks incredible that could absolutely cut down a tree. But what's going to happen if I need to clean a fish or what's going to happen if I need to make really fine uh, notching for a trap trigger? Like, you got this big, big knife, like it's just unwieldy. So for me, uh, over the years, my knives have gone to smaller and smaller because there's techniques you can do with a small knife that can you can get away with, you know, not having a big knife. Um, yeah. Ideally, my, my go-to mindset is I try to have like three main tools. So... If I, like for me, I can go all year without ever swinging an axe. For a lot of people, an axe is like a staple tool. Where I am, I just don't need it. I don't have huge, you know, like where you are, uh, I think you said Washington, huge Douglas firs or like cedars and stuff that you've got to rely on splitting up for wood or for warmth. Um, So up north, an axe is big or like where you are. Um, for me, I can get away with a machete. Uh, I love a machete. It's so versatile. It's it's freaking awesome. Uh, I want to have a saw because a saw, I'll take a saw over an axe every day. Um, it's a lot safer. And uh, yeah, it's, it's way more controllable. And then I can use that saw to make finer cuts uh, to do finer detailed work. And then I just need, I just want like a little, like this is one of my favorite here. I got it right here. This is one of my favorite knives that I use. And it's got a blade that's right around four inches or less, but a full size handle. And it's just not, it's not big. It's not intrusive. It's not bulky. And I can clean a fish with it. I can carve little small uh, trap triggers or notches. And if I need to, you know, I could stab something with it for sure. Um, but I would say as far as a knife it just depends on what your application is like you know if it's self-defense you know you kind of got two different mindsets like if you've got a bigger longer blade that's more distance between you and your attacker um if anything to like keep them away but you know what's going to happen if that distance closes in you know and like you've got this big thing that you're so it just it it's a slippery slope but it just depends on your application but i think the mindset of having one, like one ring to rule them all. Like, I think, I think that's a bunch of baloney. Um, I think, you know, you want to have a couple of tools that, that all work together. So, uh, you know, it goes back to uh, one of the famous outdoorsmen, uh, Nesmick uh, was his pen name. George Washington Sears was his actual, uh, there's a famous thing you can look up on Google. It's called the Nesmic Trio. And he basically had uh, 
a double-sided uh, small, like, uh, not hatchet, but it was in between a full-size filling axe and like a wildlife, uh, like boys axe kind of double bit, double bit axe. He had a jackknife, like a real carving pocket knife. And uh, then he had a, uh, basically a skinning knife, a really nice profile, big belly on the blade uh, skinning knife. And those were the three things that where he was in the Adirondack area of upstate New York were perfect for him. So uh, your, your tools are dictated by your environment, you know, uh, period. Like, just like with you guys, if you're in an Arctic environment, you're not going to be wearing, you know, shorts and a tank top and flip-flops. Like, you're going to be dressed for it, and your tools are going to reflect that. So it's no different. And again, like going back to what we talked about in the beginning, whatever tools can keep your core body temp regulated, that's what you got to, that's what, that's what's best. And sometimes, hopefully it's never this, but sometimes it might be the only tool the best tool you have is the only one you have. So yeah. like the best knife I have is the one that's on my hip. <laughs> yeah. Um, but just some like quick uh requirements, I guess, for me is like I want a fixed blade knife. So I want something that is full thing. It's one piece of metal that handles are bolted onto. Uh you can get you can get different knives that are like rat tail or it, it it tapers down and it only goes into this far of the handle, um, skeletonized, whatever, but a full tank knife. Uh, and then I want some kind of handle that gives me a full purchase. I don't want anything. I mean, if I have a little small and it's fine, but, uh, and then on your grinds don't really matter. Uh, in hindsight, I have preferences, but I don't want really anything bigger than, you know, four inches, uh, I can do a lot with this. Um, you know, I can do really up close, fine stuff. And then I can, you know, create other tools with this wedges, uh, a mallet to help aid me in the bigger projects like splitting a log or, or whatever. But, uh, yeah, really having a, a full tank knife is like the biggest thing because you know that you can, put some leverage on it you know it's gonna uh be able to something that you're gonna hand down to your grandkids it's gonna be an heirloom kind of piece but um yeah man i i think it really depends on your environment and what your what your plan is for it uh, i don't know if that answers the question no it, it it does i mean um like i picked up on just kind of watching you that that, that you had a preference for the full tank knife and for people that don't know what that means i mean the, that it's one metal piece with like just just handles which i think you said that so um uh and that makes a lot of sense because like i've seen a lot of knives break over the years that weren't that that they'll they, if they just have like kind of like a they come down to like just like a little root or whatever of metal they'll snap right there it's like a weak point yep. or if they're you know affixed to a handle in some way shape form or fashion um uh, they don't they don't they just don't last you know yeah and nowadays like with the technology that we have and all the different kind of steels and stuff we have on the market too, uh, even uh, thicker blades, like the stock of them, um, like used to the big thing was you've got a big thick blade and it's long and that's your one tool option and you can do everything with it. You can cut down the whole forest and it's never going to break. But nowadays with the different steels and the heat treat process and everything that we have, Thinner stock blades 
are still able and capable to like do all kinds of stuff um, because technology's advanced. And so these metals now and a process they put them through can take a lot of abuse and a lot of wear and tear before they're going to give out if they ever give out. So that was something else that I moved moved away from was having, you know, thicker blades because again, like I want to, I want to have a belt knife on me that I can pull out and I can use when I need it. And I'm not worried about, well, dang, I got to go to my pack and get, you know, uh, this little thing, or I got to pull out this, uh, like the hunting knives that are the disposable blades that are just for skinning. Yeah. Like, yeah. Those are great. They're incredible. They're, they're lightsabers when it comes to processing game, but, uh, why not have something that can get the job done? Uh, you know, everything so but uh but yeah usually i'll carry a belt knife a saw and then i normally carry something small and really thin uh like a neck knife like this is a really good little pattern for skin and game it's super thin super slicey and i can just wear this on my neck put it under my shirt or my jacket and you know cutting cord or cutting rope around camp or whatever um but again that it's just because I know kind of what I'm getting into like next month uh, in June, I'm going to be in Utah for a good, a good part of the month. And one of them is like this really stripped down primitive, uh, primitive class. And I want to be able to move and like not have a bunch of stuff and feel kind of, you know, lightweight and be able to not have to carry a bunch of stuff. So something small like that, that I can conceal or take off and put in my pocket. It doesn't, it's not real big and bulky. I really like it. Yeah. Um, so well, yeah, I think it just depends on what the, the person wants to do. Yeah. How did you get uh, plugged in with the LT right doing all their social stuff? That's interesting. Yeah. yeah. Um, honestly, uh, about that time that like that event that I went to by myself or whatever, uh, you know, I was just kind of in the market of, um, a staple knife that we tell a lot of students to get, especially if it's their first knife ever, like belt knife or Mora's. Uh, there's a company out of Sweden called Mora Knife, and uh, they have super cheap, really well-made. Honestly, they're disposable. If you lose it, it's not going to hurt you, but they're just really good knives. And so I was kind of in the market of like wanting to find more of a of a nicer fixed blade, handmade, quote unquote, like custom knife. Um, and at the time, there was a magazine that was out called self-reliance illustrated it's not in print anymore and there was always a, a company in there called blind horse knives and that was a company former to uh lt rot knives they split and so anyways uh i knew that i like man i really like those patterns a bunch of classic patterns like a kep art uh you know a uh a nesmic style and they also made like a frontier like you know the big belly kind of a roach roach belly knife um and i was just i really liked the way that they made it and so that trend when they split and started different companies when bond horse knives ended uh the other half started a company and then lt Wright was the co-owner of blind horse and so he started lt Wright knives and i got a couple of their knives and they've got this really unique uh forum called the pout house that you pay like 20 dollars a month uh to be a member on this forum and it, even now it's still going like forums are completely dead nobody uses forums anymore 
yeah. and it's still it's still going it's awesome <laughs> and it's just a really cool community they, they i mean everything they talk about everything hunting overlanding toyotas like guns all kinds of stuff and so i was like man that's kind of cool nobody no other company knife company that i've seen on the market kind of has like a community thing like this so i joined that that member that pout house member uh group and got to know some people and anyways just over the years just they again they're vulnerable and they're really friendly and they're a family-owned business and i just really enjoyed that and they share a bunch of fun stuff and they talk, you know, they'll talk to you if you send them a question. And so I just became a big advocate of their knives. And once I did a couple of trips and had one really crazy experience and had a knife that I owned by them completely rust over and it still performed after cleaning it, I was impressed. And I was like, man, this is kind of the company that, uh, that I want to support. And their knives are priced uh, really reasonable for what you get. And yeah, just time went by and then I'd go to different uh, events or uh, that they might be at with a booth or uh, this big event every year in Atlanta called Blade Show. Mm -hmm. And I got to meet them and was like, man, this is awesome. And I remember early on, uh, I told my wife, like, man, it'd be cool one day if I could do if I could do all this full time and it'd be really cool if I somehow were able to be connected or work with or work for LT right now, so they just seem like a really cool company. And so I built, you know, with not those intentions, but just because the people that use their stuff and the way that they were, it really made me feel like I was a part of their family too. And over the years, just got close with them. And then uh, in 2021 uh, was still kind of the fallout from COVID stuff and nobody really knew kind of what to do and whatever, but uh, the big show in Atlanta decided to run uh, a blade show in Atlanta, which is actually this weekend coming up. Yeah, uh, yeah I'll be going to that. Uh, and yeah, LT reached out and asked if I was going to be going to uh, to blade show. And I was like, yeah, I got a ticket. I don't know how the travel stuff's going to be, but it's really cool that they're opening back up and trying to get this going. And he said, well, we're going to have some of our people stay back at the shop. Uh, it, would you mind helping us at the booth? And I was like, yeah, because like at that point too, I was already like a quote unquote ambassador, like a brand ambassador for them. Right. I'd gotten a few uh, knives that I'd done some like research development stuff with like reviews on YouTube and whatever. So then after that show in 2021, he, he asked if I wanted to, uh, to come on board and help create content for them and run their social media and do, you know, videos, photos, and uh, that they want me to be a part of the team. And I was like, man, this is a dream job. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, awesome. this is so cool. And, you know, he also had the insight too to see like, well, for one, you're doing this all the time. Like it's, it's a passion of yours and you're already using our knives. So it only makes sense that like, it's kind of double dipping for you now when you go out and you're doing this for yourself because it's fun and you love it. You're also creating content for yourself because you love doing that and you might as well add on and you know do it for lt because you're already out there doing it so you, it's kind of like a double dipping thing and it's just been great man it's it's really opened up uh doors and opportunities that and just giving me confidence that you know like this is what i'm supposed to be doing this is a space that i belong in um and and i'm adding value to a brand and a company and a group of people that i 
really value and uh, and really care about, and I want their success to be seen and and to be had. So, yeah, that's a pretty cool story. And and like the reason I asked you about it is that like uh, we have like this kind of like chronic thing about like our soldiers. Uh, having jobs just because of the nature of the military it become it can get kind of tiring on uh, employers and it can be rough on, on on our guys and so like just showing the the value of having that network really kind of like got you kind of where you want to go and so like yeah. you know the lesson being learned is like don't ever burn a bridge and, and cultivate people because no, you never no, know no. where it's going to go yeah it's not what you know it's who you know 100 uh, yeah. i mean you know there's and I, and I think that goes with any of the stuff we talked about today, like even with music or whatever, like, you know, you can be a very, very great songwriter and, you know, and have incredible, incredible songs, like catalogs of them. But if nobody ever hears them or, you know, that's really what it is, like with a lot of the success is just right place at the right time kind of thing. But just putting yourself out there, like, again, being vulnerable and just connecting to people, then that was really um, I used to say it all the time. I kind of feel bad sometimes because I don't anymore, but I used to like end my YouTube videos with like, get outside and enjoy the woods. And then I would always say like, and share as many campfires as you can with as many people as you can. Yeah. That was always my mindset is like, I want to, I don't want to be in a box and I want to go and connect and share campfires with everybody. And, uh, and it's really paid off. I mean, it, now I can say and look back, like, you know, the best thing I did was just try to make friends with people because, you know, they connect you to people that you may not have ever had. So also yeah, when no. say, like, I'm not drinking a beer too. It's <laughs> look here. It's fine. I didn't want it to look like I'm over here at 1130 chugging beer, you know. Dude, I wouldn't judge you at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying we talked about the soldiers. I think you're okay. So. Yeah. All right. Well, hey man, I thanks so much for, for being on. Uh, absolutely Probably like uh, my favorite episode so far. And thank you. Wow. I don't know how many I've done now, but I've lost count, but absolutely a uh, great time. So thanks for joining us. Well, thank you for, uh, for having me and thank you for uh, everything you guys do uh, for our country. I appreciate your service. It means a lot to me. Oh yeah. Thank and thank you to, to you too, Manning, for uh, oh, yeah. time to be on there. So. Yeah. All right. Dude, we need to, uh, we need to try to connect outside of this, share some music and stuff, man. Yeah, that would be awesome. I was just listening to your song, uh, Follow Fox, uh, yesterday, dude. Oh, dude. I loved, I loved it, dude. Yeah, dude. See, that's a good example. I mean, not to keep dragging this out, but like I I hadn't written a song in a long time. And yeah. I, I've had like the first part of that song that I wrote down sometime last year and just sat on it. I never finished it. Yeah. You know, I went to Arizona and had a crazy cool experience in the desert with a fox and like cranked it out in like 10 minutes. So oh, that's awesome. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's part of the reason I wanted him uh, on there is just because I, I knew you had been very successful with uh, with your music, and he, he's kind of so uh, for clarity. Uh, Manning did all the music for me while we were in Poland. So like I, I'm not a musician, as you all know, I don't play very very good at guitar. You, you used to play guitar. I I play. He still does. Like, yeah. I, okay. I, yeah. Like so, I'll, I, like my guitar is actually in his in his office. So I'll go down whenever I'm at the armory and I'll sit there and I'll just like play around. But I'm not very good at it. It's just not not a gifting for me. Uh, and and whenever it comes down to like you know work ethics, I, there's other things I'd rather put my time into than that. Like I like having just like having it around because it's kind of like soothing to just like you know screw around with, but not really like really good. As opposed to Manning, who's actually like devoted like his whole life to to music and it shows. And so I thought like introducing the two of you would actually be really uh you know it would be really beneficial for him so and probably for you too in your own way yeah so. yeah man i 
any anybody that has a passion for something that I have a passion for, I'm I want to be friends with. So yeah. <laughs> I'm down, man. I'm super down. Yeah. Which by the way, we also, Brandon, never uh we never said that we've like known each other for a really long time. Since preschool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, we went to like uh so uh he lived in Texarkana, Arkansas. I live in Texarkana or well in Genoa, Arkansas, which is basically like a suburb. Um I, I think people in Genoa would take uh offense to it being called a suburb, but that's what yeah. it really is. I mean it's just kind of like <laughs> just outside of it, you know. But anyways, uh and so uh, we went to the same church who Mike Huckabee was actually the uh uh the pastor for whenever we, wow. we actually first met. Uh I was dedicated and, as a baby by him. Yeah, I actually I saw the VHS tape, but I don't have anything to play it on. <laughs> so <laughs> But yeah, uh, so anyways, uh, uh, yeah, we went to you know Mother's Day out, preschool, Sunday school, all the way up through youth groups. Uh, went to two different schools except for one year, um, and then um, yeah, but like uh, I'm, I don't even know that we've seen each other since we both graduated. So, Dude, we haven't. Like I, you know, I feel bad, but <laughs> like I, I'm, I'm also happy that we're at least connected now, even though oh, we, yeah. you know, we kind of. I mean, we both went to the same same church and saw each other all the time, but I mean, you were already out in the woods running around like a wild man. Yeah. You know, I was riding my bike, you know. But, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, no, yeah. Yeah, it's it's cool, man. I'm I'm really glad this is like kind of come back around and uh especially, you know, the path that you've taken and what I've done, it kind of somehow intersected now and it's awesome. Yeah. So uh so my wife hates this uh movie, but uh, have you ever seen Almost Famous? Uh, I think so. Okay, no. right. I, like that's your homework. You should go watch that. It's got some of the best like script writing, story writing ever, and it's about music. He's like a the dude's like a a rock journalist that's like that's uh um uh documenting this uh band that's up and coming. Anyways, uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman plays like this rock journalist that like this kid is just like enamored by and, and is trying to be uh. Um, mentored by and uh, he says that like you, know, like you must be like the star of your school he says like no they hate me and he goes well you'll see him again on a long path to the middle and so I feel like, uh, <laughs> like I was like, I was like man that is so true like you know like so good yeah uh, like uh, and so I feel like we've, we've reached the middle so hi how are you <laughs> yeah 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 thank you I like that yeah, yeah. I need to go watch that yeah, it's a, it's a really good movie. Like I said, my wife makes fun of me for liking it, but I because it, it's about writing and the whole thing is about writing. So, and there's all these really good characters. I could go on about it for, for days. Almost famous. Yeah. It's like the, one of the, the forgotten movies of like the early 2000s, I think, or maybe not 90s. It's it's older. I'm I'm getting old. So. <laughs> yeah. Man, every you're just reminded more and more every day something now my niece is already in the ninth grade i don't understand yeah because i remember when she was born yeah yeah That's dude like, <laughs> he's a freshman what the heck yeah. <laughs> all right man well hey look i'm gonna let you go uh uh but thanks so much for being on it's been a lot super fun yeah thank you for having me man and uh yeah i'd love to do it again if you if you guys want to absolutely Please. all right man have a good one yeah. This has been the Raven Report Podcast, the official podcast of the 81st Striker Brigade Combat Team. If you're interested in seeing if you have what it takes to join our team, go to our Instagram and click the link in the bio. Click the join link and connect with us.